0: Welcome to the Peter Corney Training Center podcast. We train and equip God's people by providing courses and resources for evangelism, discipleship, and ministry. Today we'll be hearing from Patricia Wierakoon. Patricia is both a sexologist and an author. As a Christian, she brings a truly unique perspective to the issue of sexuality. Captured live at a recent event, Patricia shares on how we can parent the cyber generation. Welcome to our teen sexuality seminar tonight. My name's Natalie and I'm the Assistant Director of the Peter Corney Training Centre. So it's great to have you all with us, Uh, people from a few different uh, places. So uh, thank you for coming. I'm really looking forward to this evening and in a moment I'm going to introduce Patricia. So Patricia spoke here last night and it was a really helpful evening I think and so I'm looking forward to hearing more from Patricia tonight. So Patricia... uh, Would you like to just share with us a little
1: bit about your family and where you live, what you enjoy doing? That's a lot. Okay, I'll give you just a quickie version. I was born in the tea plantations of Sri Lanka and grew up in Sri Lanka, went to the medical faculty school there, and then got married. I married the enemy. If you know Sri Lanka, there's two ethnic groups, Tamil and Sinhalese. I'm Tamil, he's Sinhalese, so I married the enemy. We thought by that we'll solve everything, but it didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) didn't <laughs> quite work that way but anyway after that uh, i had one ch- uh, son and then i did my postgraduate study in hawaii that's where i actually got into sex which is kind of funny after having a three-year-old <laughs> son, but anyway, and a good place to get into sex, Hawaii, and uh, when I was there, I was studying sexology, and at the, the, my, going to a wonderful Baptist church, and so that was where I used to study and talk to the minister, and my twin passions of God and sex developed there. Went back to Sri Lanka, and for six years, I was the only sex therapist in the country, those were busy oh. times with mm. 20 million population, <laughs> Yeah. And 26 years ago, we migrated to Australia to give our son a better life because it was hard for him with a mixed parenting. He ended up as a Presbyterian minister, so better life. <laughs> um, so, so that's um, roughly my background, 25 years, 24 years teaching at the uh, University of Sydney Last eight years, I was director of a graduate program in sexual health. I retired in 2012 at the ripe age of 65 to retire, to do my... To travel the country? No, 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 no. I had done so much of traveling when I was director for those eight years that I told my husband, no more travel, okay? For three years, no more travel. And then I started getting invitations, like last week, he... That's before I left, it's like, can you come to Townsville? I'm like, really? <laughs> so, sex in Townsville. Anyway, the thing is that, um, you asked me what else I like to do. I love to, my actual passion is uh, creative writing and uh, a craft that's called tatting. Anyone here knows about tatting? Oh, I love it when anyone knows what tatting is. It's a kind of lace making. I love tatting and I love creative writing. So that's, it's funny how God uses because when I decided that I was going to retire, I thought oh, I can do my creative writing. So I went for classes and I did creative writing classes. Then when I retired, I was invited to write like teen sex and I would to use all that actually for writing for God's purposes. God, that's the right training. That's lovely.
0: Yeah, not what you expected. Mm. Uh, Now, I'm going to hand over to Patricia Mm -hmm. and we're really happy for this to be interactive and uh, we've got a smallish group, so feel free to ask questions, uh, pop your hand up at any point and we might have a break after a little while, so we'll just see how we're going and we'll we'll have a Q&A session after the break, so you'll have a little bit of chance to process and then think of other questions that you might
1: have a little bit later. So I'll hand over to Patricia now. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, well, it's great to be here, and thank you very much for inviting me. We had an interesting session yesterday for those of you who were here. It's like every time I do one of those things on gender, I end up by thinking, I need two more hours to talk, but... This is not quite so bad, although you probably will feel you want to go on talking. Anyway, it, we, we've titled it Brave Conversations, because talking sex with teenagers needs you to be very brave. So that's where we're going today. Now, we can't do everything, so I'm going to choose particular areas and spend a little bit of time on that. Let's have, can I have the next slide, please? Okay, so... Your children are what we call Generation Z. Young people today live in a cyber-connected global village. Their friendships and relationships are no longer forged in playgrounds or each other's houses, but on social media, Facebook pages, and other sites, where liked in a virtual world really counts for far more than somebody actually saying, I like you or I love you. Their identities, an online profile, and Instagram or t- Twitter or Snapchat. Teenagers rarely measure their self-esteem or self-worth against personal or even scholastic achievements, however brilliant they may be. Rather, it's about how many people actually give them a like on their last profile or their Instagram picture. Their role models are often twerking pop stars, or if you don't know what twerking is, go and ask your teenager, or even sometimes a porn star. We live in a generation that has made sex both a commodity to be accessed at the click of a button or just a swipe on the smart uh, on the smartphone, but also a form of self-expression that says, "I am who I am sexually." So the kids are in this bind. There, your children are the most connected, socially aware advertised to, and sexualized generation who ever walked this planet. And sadly, they are also the demographic least likely to stay in church. This, ladies and gentlemen, is just some of the tools, and I'm saying some of the apps. So just have a good look, because there are Apps and apps coming out every day. In fact, I was reading one about one this afternoon called After School. Heard of that? It's supposed to be one of the most popular apps now that's just getting more and more popular. It's an app which is, allows kids to discuss what happens in school and it's one of the ones that's tied in with cyberbullying. Some of those apps... I don't think we have that one there. There's one that looks like a, a calculator. And there are some of those apps that are specifically meant to hide the other apps. So if you go into their phone, they that app cannot be, you'd think it's a, it's a calculator, but it's actually an app that hides the other photographs and apps. So why am I telling you this? I think it is extremely important that you as parents, as aunties, as uncles, I'm looking, no grandparents, but if there are, whoever you are, you have to have what we call an open phone policy. You are a parent, you have a right To know what's on the phones of your children. You're right. You're a parent. This is a protective tool. It is not an intrusive or an invasive of privacy act of yours. If it's on your phone and you are okay, if it's on your kid's phone and you see it and you're okay with it, that's good. If it's on their phone and they don't want you to see it, it is not okay. Can you see the thinking there? So if they're not willing to share it with you, that is not a safe app. You need to ask. And yes, this is only about a third of what they probably have on their phone. You see, if they're using apps that are dangerous, that are involved in chatting, that are involved in harassing, that are involved in like sending pictures and discussing, and you don't know about it, it can lead to very, very serious problems. Next slide, thank you. So, ignorance is no longer an option. You can't. You have to be informed. Well, what about schools? Some of you may be thinking, but aren't schools doing a good job? Well, let me tell you, and this is Victoria, (laughs) what are schools doing to our children? I mean, the reality is that schools, and I ask teenagers, what do you learn in school? Basically, they learn about the genitals, you know, what we call the plumbing, and even that is not... Taught very well, they learn prevention. STI, don't get preg, don't get disease, don't get pregnant, and they learn it in the context, not of any purity or you know control, but rather from the context of pleasure. So, in other words, how they are learning it, I think there are some people just trying to get in. They they're learning it from the context of. You're probably going to do this anyway, so you better protect yourself. They are not going to get, although they call it a neutral or non-value based, that is a value in itself. That's what schools are giving. Of course, today it is celebrating gender diversity in addition to that. What about the church? Has the church preached purity? Probably so. But the problem is when the church preaches purity, what our teenagers hear is God is a cosmic killjoy and his only words are just don't do it and therefore if you're a Christian you must be basically boring and if you're not boring you're bigoted and puritanical and homophobic. This is what many of the kids are hearing preached from church, I'm not saying that is what is preached, but that is what the kids are hearing. And they're hearing the Bible as something outdated set of rules. They're not hearing the grace, they're not hearing the joy. And so you, the parents, the grandparents, aunties, uncles, you, the church, are the ones who got to give kids the proper, clear view of Bible sexuality, purity, See, all the research we have tells us that communication and relationships with parents gives teenagers a self-esteem and leads to less risk-taking and less risky sexual behavior. This is research. I mean, look, is that rocket science? You talk to your children it works. It helps their self-esteem. It helps their decision-making. So guide, nurture. It is so important. It goes right back to the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6, command to Israel, impress these words on the children. Talk about them when you sit at the television and when you take your children for soccer. Not in exactly those words, but you know, talk, talk, talk. Because if you don't, where are your children? If school's not doing it and the church isn't doing a terrific job and you're not doing it, where are your children getting their sex information? What do you think? Hmm? Friends? Friends. Friends. Sorry? Movie. Movies? Google, like Googling? Googling. Yeah, they will Google it and say, um, when should I have sex? Mm-hmm. They will Google it. You know, not to Google it. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Google, movies, friends, magazines, media. media. Number one porn uh, educator of our children is pornography, especially for boys, but now for girls also. The number one sex educator is pornography. We'll come back to that. So, if you don't do it, porn and friends and media, especially social media, is going to be the sex educator of her children. Do you want to raise a porn star or a sex addict? That's what you will be doing if you don't do it. That's the reality. (laughs) Harsh, but reality. So what are we going to do? Next slide. Today, I want to just take you through three issues very quickly. Firstly, you need to understand why we are so passionate that parents of young people Children and now preteens, because we are now writing a book for primary school, because we got to start with like five years. So, parents are, need to understand why they are so important, the vulnerability of their children's brains, and how the world is affecting identity. And we need to examine ourselves to understand that. And finally, I want to just introduce you to hot topics and talk about a couple because we don't have a time to deal with all of it. So let's look at the brain first. I want to look at the teen brain. The teen brain is a work in progress. In the old days, when I was in medical school, time of the dinosaurs, we thought that the brain sort of grew till about six years old and then it just didn't do much. It just got bigger. Now we know that's not so. That through life, the brain remains what we call neuroplastic. This means that connections and that's called synapses and wiring called axons change and grow through life. Now this happens extensively for at early childhood and up teenage. It's a huge remodeling like a network and wiring upgrade. Your children's brains are a work in progress and your children need to know that. Connections that are used will be kept and the ones that are not used will be pruned gardening term. You lose it. It's a use it or lose it process. It is biological, but the important thing is that what goes into the brain will affect the wiring. Why do you think if you want your kid to be a musician, you say, practice, practice, practice? Or when you want them to be a mathematician like you were, it's like, do your maths, do your maths, do your maths, and your kid hates it, but do your maths. And somehow it goes into the brain, because by sheer practice use it or lose it so what are your kids feeding their brains do you know what your kids are watching on television if any of your kids watching game of thrones that's wonderful ah so they just uh, they are on the live streaming of the television shows good good I'm glad there are people who are doing that. Because if they're watching um, Game of Thrones, they're basically watching pornography. And I tell young people, and they say, but there's no porn in Game of Thrones. I said, welcome, you've already pornified your circuits in your brain. If you can look at those and think this is not porn, then you've already accepted violence and that's just explicit sex as normal and natural. Sad. This is what we're doing when it puts those things in your brain. So, video games. So many video games are just about violence and sexual, you know, and of course, pornography. There's two parts of the brain that we ne- really need to understand, and your kids need to understand. When you're talking to little ones, you can talk of a feeling brain and a thinking brain. You're talking to older ones, we talk of the emotional brain and the control brain. Or when I'm doing talks with some kids sort of in between, I talk of your volcano brain, which is the emotional brain, and a wet rag, which is your control or your thinking brain. Now this volcano brain basically erupts at puberty. It's the time when your cute little girl or boy turned into an alien. Remember that time? You know, it almost happened overnight. It is the emotional risk-taking brain and the reward system. For those of you biologists, the sort of limbic system, amygdala, that area. And what happens is, under the influences of the hormones that are just flooding their body, there is that need for independence and identity. Now, your kids at puberty... Remember, puberty ages are now dropping. At puberty, will seek their independent identity. Remember the time when, instead of holding your hand and crossing the road, they go, oh, mom, or your daughter, and, you know, you go to give her a hug, and she goes, "You, dad, you know, because they, they don't no longer want to be your little girl. They're seeking an identity. Now, we need, especially today, where the world is telling our children, How do you know who you are unless you experiment? You don't have to believe that anything that the church or your parents tell you should influence your identity. You need to find who you are. You are whoever your brain tells you you are. You need to experiment and find out who you are. That's how your your kids are hearing it from their friends, from the media, now even from schools. So be aware of that. Identity, independence, that's happening. If that emotional brain is also driving risk-taking. And risk-taking is an important part of growing up. You know, I tell young people, you've got to take risks. You've got to do that. Otherwise, when you're 40 years old, you'll be still holding mommy's hand. Probably mommy will need help because of her arthritis, but you you know, you'll be still sitting on daddy's lap. That's not how it's meant to be. You're supposed to move out, you're supposed to take risks, but you need to be aware of those risks. So that's the emotional brain. Now, that's the volcano, it's erupting. That's the, if you're talking to littler ones, that's your feeling brain. Talking to older ones, you can talk of emotions. Now, the control brain is. Not deep, but what we call the cortex, you know, the parietal frontal around here. Now, when the brain develops its connections, it goes from back to front. So, the front bit is the last bit to develop. That doesn't mature till the mid-20s. So, what happens is the control brain, which is why I call it the wet rag, the brain that is the thinking part, that's the executive, you know, oh, I've taken this 13 pictures of myself, Should I or shouldn't I send it, oops, done? (laughs) Because the thinking brain is not in gear. And our young people need to understand this. We've got to be talking to our children from the time they are so young because that part of the brain doesn't mature till well into the 20s, which means if your kids are there in youth group, probably their youth leaders haven't matured their brains yet. (laughs) This is reality. So... The problem is that kids don't understand this because when faced with an exciting activity that is clicking on to their volcano brain and setting all those instant risk-taking rewards and saying, that's so exciting. What do you think? The control brain is like gone. You know, the Ferrari is in full acceleration with no brake. So, of course, at those points, the emotional brain Will override the thinking brain. What are the practical implications? We need to understand and talk to our children about this. It is so important that they learn that self-control, the wet brain, the, the wet rag brain needs to be developed. And you need to talk to your children. I tell teenagers, You know what? Have you ever had your parents or your teachers say, you are so out of control? And I get all these eye rolls. And I say, guess what? You are. You are out of control. Because you're like an out of control Ferrari. Your brakes are not working. And I think we need to talk to, you need to talk to your children about it. And you need to tell them that peers matter. Because, you know, when when kids take risks, who do they turn to, to for support? To their friends. And you are the external control system. I think when God created the teen brain, the angels were saying, what are you doing, God? This, this is out-of-control Ferraris. I mean, of course he knew about Ferraris. You know, what are you, what are you doing? And he said, ah, don't worry. I've got an external control system all set up for them. And he called them parents. And do you know when I say this to teenagers? And I say, who do you think your external control system is? They go, parents. And that is so true. Your kids recognize it, be it. They've got 200 Facebook friends that don't need a couple more, but they have only two and sometimes one parent. Be that control system that your kids have and need. Next slide. So let's talk a little bit about identity. Your teens, I said, are moving away from you. They're seeking an independent identity. They no longer want to be the child, the baby, the precious, the possum. They want to be somebody of their own. And who's who's, who's influencing this? Society is telling them now, be true to yourself. Only you can decide what you want. It is our individualistic society, that's what they are hearing. There is no objective truth that talks of your identity. Rather, the peer pressure will drive children to be like their friends, but also be liked by their friends. So, our kids in a cyber world identity... Tells them that their selfie Snapchat Instagram photo is what their identity is. One of you was saying your daughter was taking pictures. That's what the identity is. They're putting it out there. Look at me. Look at me. This is what I look like. Of course, she doesn't say I'm going for a youth group in church. It's just look at me, look at me, look at me. This is who I am. I have got, I'm hot, or I'm cold, I'm cool, I'm hot, I've got the best ripped abs, I've got the best thigh gap, I've got the best butt selfie, look at me, look at me. Or it is I am who my sexuality says I am. I am gay, I'm lesbian, I'm trans. It is a finding of identity because the world's saying, their friends are saying, check it out, find out who you are. And... Therefore, the cyber world identity tells your children that they need to project themselves to the world for the most likes or downloads. So it's not just to take the photographs and feel that way, but they need to be liked and they need to project themselves or they need to bully and harass others so that they can feel better. There's a huge increase in cyber bullying. So This is the identity your kids are being given by the world. And of course you know the results of that. You know, like one in seven kids, four to 17-year-olds, have mental disorders. One in four children say they are unhappy with their lives. We can go on and on. The rates of plastic surgery are rising. The number of teenage girls who are going in for genital surgery, what we call labioplasties and vaginoplasties, and saying... I don't like what my genitals look like. My labia minor is too big. And some of you are thinking, my labia what? But anyway, you know, your kids know because they've checked it out on the porn star pictures. So the point is that increase of teenagers asking for genital surgery. That this is what is happening for our young people. They are accepting this sexualized imagery. Now what can we do? My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the first thing we need to do is consider our own sources of identity. Because our kids will learn from what we do, not what we say. And we need as Christian men and women to be clear that our identity is grounded in Christ and Christ alone. It is only then that we can speak to our children and draw them. Use the biblical text to speak to your children. And I put up a couple of really fun ones. Well, Psalm 139 is a beauty because it says, you knew me when I was knit in my mother's womb. My dear parents, Talk to your children, you know, about what you were doing when they were knit in your womb. You know, I tell teenagers, you think mom was doing knitting? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Mom and dad were having the best time of their life because everyone was grown. (laughs) But the reality is that it is okay for them to know that, that they are created by your love, but at that moment when they were created by your love, God named them as his. And that is an amazing identity to give your children. That from that moment, their bodies, that point when they were one cell created by your love, they were loved more than you could love them because you didn't even know they were in there. But God already loved them. Talk to them about that. Talk to them about, I use 1 Corinthians chapter 6, because it clearly talks about your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own. You are bought at a price, redeemed. Honor God with your bodies. That's that word, honor God with your body. is something that you can come back to in terms of how precious bodies are. And talk to them about if you, your body is precious to Jesus, it's precious to me, it's precious to your dad and mom and your all your uh, grandpa and grandma, you're precious. What should you do with a body that is so precious? Should you be putting pictures out there for everybody to pervert or should you be putting out there, going out in a way that dressed in a way that makes people go look at your boobs and your thighs? Is this the way you on, we should honor God? Open up a conversation on it. So use these. I mean, Romans chapter 8 I use because it's like, you know, you're a child. You're a child of God. You are a Christian child who can approach the God who created the stars and name them. But you can go up to him and say, hi, daddy. Is that an identity or what? You see, our children must be grounded In that identity. Because the world is going to challenge them on it. And we need to get that and get them young. But if you haven't talked to them and they're already 14 or 15, that's okay. Go and start the conversation today. You know, tomorrow morning, Saturday morning breakfast. Let's talk about sex. On the way taking them to soccer or netball. Mm -hmm. Great conversation. So, our kids need to know they are not... What their mirror says, or their friends say, or Instagram says, or even their sexual orientation. They are children of God. And they and their friends are created in the image of God. And therefore, God loves them and you love them. Teach that identity. But above all, you need to role model the identity. So you examine, talk as husband and wife. Where is your identity? Then teach your children an identity. Now let's talk sex. Okay. Firstly, to just get a hold on sex, I just want to talk very briefly about worldview. Now we talked, those of you who were here yesterday, we did it in a little more detail, but I'll just very briefly talk about, you know, science says this is how things are. In our cultural, social environment today, our kids here It doesn't matter what anyone says. There is no objective truth. You can decide what's right for you. And nobody can tell you what you should do. Because it's your right to do whatever you wish to do with your life, your body, your clothes, anything. That's what they're hearing. The word, the word of God has a clear pattern. And I tell young people... ...unashamedly talk to them that the Bible has a lot to say about sex. The Bible starts and ends with a marriage, Adam and Eve, oh, Garden of Eden... God created Adam and Eve. I'm just giving you in a sort of a nutshell what's in teen sex by the book and growing up by the book, for those of you who have read it. You know, God created Adam and Eve, beautifully complementary genitals. Vaginas and penises were made for each other. And then, you know, he put them and said, get out there and be fruitful and multiply. I mean, he didn't tell them, you know, that, go plant apple trees and do mathematics. He basically said, get out there and have the best sex you ever can. I tell children, you know, I tell children, look, God is good. He could have made having babies the most boring thing ever. You know, he could have made it such that mom and dad filled in a form in triplicate and sent it to the Department of Baby Making, But he didn't do that. He said, you know what, you're going to have orgasms and make babies. Isn't that wonderful, don't you? Do we worship a gracious God who can do that? I mean, He made it fun to have babies. That's really something. So, talk about this to children. It is okay to talk to them that sex by God's grace is a powerful and beautiful thing. So, how does that then apply in a more practical manner? Now, in science, we talk about three stages we talk about desire falling in love and attachment. So I'm very briefly going to talk to these three desire and it's very important for you to understand this because this you need to discuss this with your children. Sexual desire. the brain, remember that emotional brain kicks in at puberty and basically it makes you want sex, want, like wanting chocolate. Like, how many of you want chocolates right now? Not you. We are all on a diet, aren't we? But when I say that to teenagers, like, yes, yes, we all want chocolate. So it's a wanting. Your kids need to know the difference between a want and a need. Because the world tells them, and get this clear, the world is going to constantly tell them that anything they desire is actually a need that has to be met and they have a right to have it met. So whatever the sexual desire it may be, homosexual, heterosexual, animal sex, solo sex, pornography, it is my right to have my desires met. So when I talk to teenagers, I say I've been a doctor for 40 years, a sexologist for 35, seen people die of lack of medication, health food, water. Not one empirically reported case of death by lack of sex. Not one. You can quote me on that. There is nobody dies because they don't have sex. You know, desires do not have to be lived on and worked on. We have, even the wet rag can be developed. Self-control is a gift of the spirit. We've got to work on it. In Teen Sex by the Book, we say, work on it like going to the gym. Choose that group of muscles, the self-control muscle, and keep working on it. So, that's desire. The Bible, talk to them of Song of Songs. I tell them the sealed section of the Bible. Eight chapters of erotic lovemaking between husband and wife. And I read to them, read to them from Song of Songs. Love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave burning like a blazing fire. Like, you know, a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench it. Read them some of those. Talk to them how in Song of Songs three times it says, don't arouse desire before the right time. Because you know what happens? This, I want simmers. I tell young people, especially the pre-teens, early teens, it's like simmering. It's like volcanoes in Hawaii, volcanoes just simmer. You can actually walk up to the edge, and I have pictures I show them. You can walk up to the edge and you can actually look in. But occasionally they erupt. So when you stir up desire, when you stimulate your desires... It erupts. And once it erupts, it's really hard to hold it down with your wet rag. So don't stimulate those simmering desires. This is what happens with early porn use. You kickstart the desire. It's hard to hold it down. You know, any of the desire action. So that's desire. Falling in love. Ah, falling in love. You remember the time you fell in love. You were sitting in church. Sermon on Ecclesiastes or something and you looked and there she was. Do you remember that heart palpitating, pupil dilating moment? Pure chemistry. Dopamine makes you dopey, gets sprayed all over your brain. This is what's happening to your young people when they fall in love. Serotonin levels go down, same thing happens in obsessive compulsive behavior. Love is an obsession, same changes happen if you take a cocaine hit. Love is an addiction. Then what happens is that the parts of your brain that are involved with rational thinking, your wet rag, is even further inhibited. Love is blind. And so when your kids are in this emotion, it's really hard to say, just get over it. Because you didn't. And because it is like an obsession. Fortunately, only 12 to 24 months. So hang in there, you know, like, oh, just just wait, this shall pass. But... Be be aware that it it is a powerful emotion. God created it as a powerful emotion with a purpose. A purpose of taking all that energy of I want sex and directing it towards one person. All that energy now becomes directed to one person and says, I want to know you. Now talk to your children about what this means. It means... I. Not it doesn 't mean I want to have an orgasm at your expense. what it means is you become the most important and precious thing in my life Now you all of you married, remember the courtship, remember you did say this to each other. I can't live without you. You are the most important thing in my life. Oh come off it. There are so many other things in life that are more important than me no you are the most important. What does that mean? Some of you are getting memories, huh? What does that mean? It means I want to honor you. I want to protect you. It's not the worldview your kids are hearing. What they're hearing is I love you means I want your body. I love you means I want to use your body for my satisfaction. Love equals lust. Talk to teenagers. They say things like, But if you're dating, isn't it abnormal to not have sex? That's what they're hearing. How can I not be sleeping? I have couples who've broken off because the girl wouldn't give him sex. or Sometimes the boy wouldn't want to have sex because he was a Christian and wanted to wait till marriage. And I have counseled young people who said, I've tried to live the world where God and my boyfriend left me. And I said, well, he wasn't willing to honor you, was he? He wasn't willing to build you up and honor you. He wanted to use your body. If he's going to treat you like this now, imagine what it's going to be like after you get married, so you're well rid of him. doesn't help you right now when you're suffering rejection, but that is the reality. And that's what we need to be talking to our children. What does love mean? Read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to them. Talk to them about love being other-focused, about long-suffering, not using. When they're dating, talk to them about, is your boyfriend or girlfriend honoring you and building you up and treating you as precious or encouraging you to drink and have sex and give them oral sex or whatever. This is what's happening. Talk, talk, talk to your children all the time. And marriage, marriage today... It's a very interesting thing. I mean, we talked about it yesterday. I mean, you know, the brain science is fascinating. When you are sexually intimate, you bond to the person you have sex with. The hormone oxytocin and vasopressin go up. It's the same hormone oxytocin that bonded you to your mothers, bonded you to your baby when she or he was at your breast. Get It goes up when you're sexually intimate. It brings down the steeple when you have an orgasm. This is the reality. So teach your children that sexual intimacy is a bonding activity. Chemistry, not necessarily Bible here. We're only talking chemistry. There is nothing called casual sex. Sex is never casual. Talk to your children about it. When you have sex, it's like forming a little super glue bond. You have sex and you leave, you tear, you leave a bit of that person and therefore you feel the emotional pain of that. Then you go on to someone else and someone else. By the time you get married, you're basically really, really confused because your brain can't deal with all these things that's not supposed to happen. Talk to your children about the brain bonding that happens. Then, of course, in the world, (laughs) we have a schizophrenic view of marriage, isn't it? At one point, who needs marriage? Just live together, cohabit. All the research tells us that cohabitation doesn't work. Go have a read of that. Living together doesn't work. You slide into marriage, you slide out. The research says that just not working. Oh, but on the other hand... Marriage is about love. So anyone who loves themselves, same sex, other sex, group sex, anything, should be allowed to get married. This is a schizophrenic view of marriage. No wonder kids and everybody else is confused. The Bible, of course, is clear. Talk to your children about your marriage, role model marriage. Let them see your intimacy. Let them see you kissing at the kitchen sink and sending your oxytocin and vasopressin. If they walk in... Yes, lock the bedroom door, but if your little girl or boy walks into the bedroom while you're having sex, use it as a teachable moment. It will not scar them for life. It is okay for them to see mom and dad being intimate. So, teach them the power of sex. Teach them that they have a choice that they can choose to believe Satan's lies as Satan talked to Eve and said, did God really say? And if they have sex, if they watch porn, of course it's fun. Of course they will have fun for a little while. But they will be depressed and sad in the long run. They were not teach your children that you and they were not created for these fleeting moments of happiness on earth. That they are created with, us, with eternity in mind. Eternity with the creator of the universe. Keep talking to them about this fleeting passion, that orgasmic passion of the moment will pass and leave scars in their brain, give them a pattern for their sex life. A pattern that you demonstrate in your life. Teach them that when they turn away from the impurity of sex, they turn towards something. And that towards something is the Bible and God's word and you will teach them, you will demonstrate that to them. So, finally, I just want to take you through some of the questions teens ask. Now, I can't do obviously all of them. But... They're all in the books, so they're answered in teen sex and growing up by the book, but I just want to pick one, and for those of you who were here yesterday, bear with me because this is such an important issue. I want to talk about, is the Bible's binary view of male and female bigoted than bizarre? So what is sex? When will I be ready to start dating? How far is too 5 If you have time for q and I'm happy to come back to that. I have the next slide? This is one that those of you who were here yesterday saw, the cultural confusion of gender. Transgender is an umbrella term. May I just know how many of you who are not here yesterday? Oh, okay. Right. So I need to tell you. Transgender is an umbrella term that is used to mean anybody who's Gender identity, the word gender identity is who do I feel that I am, that core identity. Am I male or female? For some people, that is not in keeping with the biological sex and that is called gender dysphoria, transsexualism, gender identity disorders. So some people, that does happen, very few, one in seven to 30,000 who have true gender dysphoria. However get the tape from yesterday if you missed that one so transgender is an umbrella term for anyone whose gender identity gender expression how they live their life and their behavior in terms of sexual orientation any of this is not typically associated with Their biological sex. So there is some discrepancy between what the culturally associated with biological sex and any other aspect. That's an umbrella term. And I just have put some words there, but actually there's about 54 to 70 words that can fit in there under transgender. Now, the bit that's in the little ball on the side is what we call intersex or disorders in sex development, that's biology. Where actually the child, when developing in the womb, something goes wrong with the development of the genitals and sometimes with the brain in terms of sexing. That's, so it's so confusing in the world today. What is cisgender? The word cisgender means basically you and I. Cisgender is a person whose identity orientation and behavior conforms with that which is their biological sex. You with me still or you sort of totally got your scrambled brains? So the the reality is cisgender is what we used to call heterosexuals because it's more than that. It's Adam who was a biological male, knew he was a male, fell in love with Eve and behaved like a man and did the garden. That's cisgender. So it's in contrast to transgender. So we no longer talk about heterosexual. We talk about cisgender and transgender. Next slide. So what does God teach us? Your children need to clearly hear this from you because this is not what they're hearing from school and their friends. The Bible consistently describes male-female as binary. Your children know, need to know they're created in the image of God, Genesis 1 and 2, male and female, he created them. Talk to them from the time they are really young about how the genitals are beautifully made, very different. Penises and vaginas. Doesn't mean you've got to be running around naked in the house. But when the discussion comes up, use it as teachable moments and talk about it. Talk to them how there is a misalignment in everything in life when... We turned away from God. So part of the fall is that there is a misalignment and sometimes gender things go wrong. And so whether we talk of ambiguous genitalia or gender identity, things go wrong. Now, the important thing for them to understand that even if gender issues are not always a choice, even if it is an innate characteristic, behavior is always a choice. What you do with your desires is a choice. Now, it's much more complex than that when we talk about gender identity. So please, if you are interested in that and you were not here at yesterday's talk, did we tape it? I think we did, didn't we? So there should be an audio tape of it. But the difference between a desire... And a behavior is incredibly important for our children to understand. Because the world says what you desire must be acted on. You can't. You can't live. What's wrong with you? You have to feed your desires. But God says, look, most, many, if not most or all, of your desires are not in keeping with what the Holy Spirit wishes for you. So examine your hearts. Examine your desires. The desires of the world are not in keeping with the desires of the Holy Spirit. What are your desires? Examine your own desires. Teach your children. Teach your children that behavior is a choice. And that, you know, they can deal with it. Their identity is not based on it. You know, hold on to those convictions Teach your children to be compassionate to people who are different. Because if you don't teach compassion, you'll be be, uh, nurturing a set of bullies. Can you see how we need to be careful with this? We need to teach them the conviction of God's word. But teach them the compassion that there will be kids who are different. And therefore, you must love and teach them that winsomeness of love... That it's by loving children, people, that you can draw them to Jesus. Demonstrate that in your life. Next slide, thank you. More questions? Isn't everybody doing it? It's a question that's asked. Well, actually, not everybody. The best research tells us that only about 70% of year 10, 11, and 12 have any form of sexual activity. That leaves over 30% who are not. And when it comes to sexual intercourse, only 50% of year 12s are having sexual intercourse. Sexual intercourse now being defined as vaginal or anal and or anal. So research definitions are done now. So can I catch STIs if I'm, if I'm using a condom or on the pill? That's a multiple choice question for you to figure out. Is masturbation a sin? Isn't porn harmless entertainment? Pornography is what I'd like to spend a few minutes on before we break for lots of questions. As I said, pornography is the current sex educator of our children. Um, Porn—the average age of porn use is uh, 11 years. Just this morning, in your newspaper, reporting on Victoria Today's News, a seven-year-old in a boys in a co-ed school was sexually abusing girls in the playground. Taking them into the toilet, stripping them, and forcing them to give immoral sex. This is Victorian Public School, today's newspaper. This is the world your children are living in, where pornography is the prime sex educator. Porn is anything that is sexual, explicit, and intended to arouse, not just on the smartphones, comics, hentai, anime comics. There's, you know, porn everywhere. What happens? Most of the porn is misogynistic, violent, and deviant. Average age, 11. Almost 100% of boys and now about a third of girls and rising are porn users. Then we need to be aware of this. Porn acts on the brain at any age, not just in children. At any age, what happens is it hijacks and floods those emotional reward circuits the dopamine, serotonin, adrenaline. You get a super size hit. What happens? It takes over those sex circuits that God gave to point you towards that one woman, one man, one flesh relationship. Porn hijacks those and it sensitizes it. It sets down new pathways. We even know that it lays down little things called Delta FOSB, like markers, so that after a while that becomes the only pathway you have for desire. Normality is boring. Normal women are boring. Normal girls are boring. Your brain begins to think that Porn activity is normal. So all girls enjoy being hit. All girls want to be treated rough. I'm hearing young people say things that, well, I might as well tell you, you're all over 18. A young girl who comes up to me and asks, is it okay? Is golden showers normal? Golden showers are when the boy either urinates or masturbates and uh, ejaculates on the girl's face. Is it okay for a guy to, a married couple, young Christian couple, where the woman asked me, My husband wants me to give me a facial. I thought, What a lovely man! Mm-hmm. He wants to give his wife a facial. What a gentle thing to do. I had the wisdom to ask her, what, what exactly are you talking about? He said, well, he wants to ejaculate on my face. That's called giving a woman a facial. These are porn activities. The number of girls who are now coming to sexual health clinics with infections of the anus, with anal tears. is rising significantly because anal sex is like considered like a safe sex. Method. You can't have vaginal sex, you have anal sex. Girls who talk to me of rainbow parties, which means parties where the girls wear different shades and colors of lipstick. and Where do you think the rainbow goes? So the guys count the number of shades they can get on their penis. This is teenagers telling me, oh boy, my learning curve is very high when I talk to teenagers. I did focus groups to write teen sex by the book. And these are the things they're saying. Well, uh, when you talk in terms of sexual arousal for children, for young people especially, it's important to talk of all activity. Can we just go back the earlier slide? Uh, One more. One more, sorry. What is sex? That's a very common question. What is sex, how far is too far? I tell them, Anything that sexually arouses you is sex. So if you're sexting someone, sending them explicit pictures, that is sex because you are arousing your brain. If you are touching someone and that person and you are getting sexually aroused, and we talk about what does it mean to be aroused. Guys, you have a barometer. You know when you're getting aroused. But we talk about girls and getting wet and tingly down there. And this is girls, they know what it is. If you're getting aroused, you are, that is, you're on that pattern. You're on that pathway of sexual activity. So any of them are sexual activities. There is, yes, touching, even holding hands can be a very arousing activity. And I teach, we we talk to young people about being kind to the partner. If you're holding hands and that girl or that boy is really getting aroused, kindness to your brother or sister Means you don't follow that up because you're not you're leading that person on, and it's a hard thing to, for children to for young people to understand. Touching the genitals, I mean, that's a naked and no shame activity. I challenge people: how can you touch genitals without taking some clothes off? You know, the questions I get asked. But what if we touch outside the panty? That is arousing. Can you masturbate outside your panty? Yes, I can. So, where does the difference? It's just this legalism of how far can I go. So, anything that arouses you is a sexual activity. So, you know, otherwise, what we are telling children is don't have intercourse, but everything else is okay. And that's dangerous. i we do But that's know, a professional. Kids are going to grow up and that's different. I mean you're talking professional versus private private couple behaviour. Well, I think for us, you know, we need to be able to differentiate between medical procedures and being, and between that and couple activity. Couple activity. So when we're talking to our children, you're really talking about couple activity. If your daughter has to go for a medical process, hopefully you will discuss that with that child before they go. You know, to give that differentiation. Yes. So, but we need to be careful that we don't let that override what we are talking to our children when we are talking to them about the one flesh, naked, and no shame relationship. Because there are people that well, that's a different thing. The shame associated with the body. But then you haven't done that because you've talked to your children about their body and how precious and beautiful it is. But, you know, there's a difference between shame and being precious and knowing that your body is God's. I can see where you're coming from. But that's not, that's different. Well that goes back to what you're teaching children about good and bad touch which is something you obviously do very young you know who can touch you where should people touch you safe touch those things that's another whole area of protecting your body and you know so there's so many different areas we should be talking but I think we need to be careful that when we're talking to children that we're clear about all these activities are sexual activities And then, you know, there is a place where a doctor or a nurse will examine you. But then if an uncle or an auntie touches that same place, then you would be uncomfortable and you need to talk to someone. And so those are conversations you have with your children. But I think when it comes to teens, to give them that understanding that all intimate activities are sexual activities, Otherwise, it gets to this point of, oh, so where can I draw the line? You know, if I draw a line at the waist and up is okay, down is not good. So we need to teach about arousal and being protective of their bodies. Can we go back, please, to the porn slides? Okay. So we've already talked about that. So we talked about what it does to boys. Next slide, thank you. And, of course, girls, we are seeing now more and more accepting this porn image and I talk to girls' schools, Christian girls' schools. And the girls sitting there going, why can't I? Sh- my body is mine. You know, it's the, men's, the problem of the man if he wants to look at my body. This preciousness of the body. You know, but it's like, it's feminism gone crazy. It's my body, my right. It's your problem if you're going to perv on my body. And it's like taking the back, your body is so precious, you're honoring God with your body, your body is precious to daddy and mommy. I tell parents, I said, you know, can I talk to my father's ask, can I talk to my daughter about her clothes? I said, yes, you're a man, right? And hopefully she's going to grow up and get married to a man. And who's the man she first knew? You, you're a father. So, but I don't know how to talk to her when she comes out and I don't like the dress. I said, well, tell her that if, you know, if you were, she was not your daughter, you'll feel like perving her. So when she gets out there, other old dirty men like you are going to be perving her. And you don't want that because you'd rather go and kill them because you're the father. So, you know, sometimes you need to just talk straight because you are the father and you are the one and you're a man. You need to talk to your daughters. So, oh, please. Yeah, please. And
2: that is that we put a lot of emphasis on girls making Mm. objects of themselves. And I'm sick and tired of having women objectivize men Mm. on media and talk, for example, about my son, who is a a bit of an accomplished soccer player. And he's got a gorgeous body. And it's okay to say he's got a gorgeous look at him. But if we say that about a girl, she's got a... Then you are a curve. And I think we need to
1: be equal. Thank you for that, yeah.
2: In objectivizing Mm. women and Mm
1: -hmm. men. You're right. You're You're right there. Because it's interesting you say that. Because one of the things we do is we split... Sometimes we split girls and boys. And we have girls talk about... And the girls say to us, you know, we talk about us not dressing and, you know sort of enticing the men can you please tell the boys that we get you know just as much affected when they want to show off their bodies and they need to be kind to us too which is sort of the same thing that it works both ways and that's we need to be aware of that and that's also more so now with this whole thing of like you know this freedom of commenting and being whoever you want to be and saying whoever you want to be and whatever you want to say So thank you for that, because that's a very important point, too. But of course, we are talking about the effects of porn, and this is really what we are seeing, that the girls are feeling pornified and accepting that. Of course, we are not talking about adults, but of course, it corrupts intimacy in adults. Very quickly, then, some guidelines, most of which we have already talked about. Can I have the next slide? Be available, approachable, and authoritative. We've already talked about you being a parent rather than a Facebook friend. In some research, t- 2014, the state of the kid, where kids, when children were asked, you know, tell us about what your parents are doing, and they said 62 or 65% of the kids said, our parents are too distracted to talk to us. What do you think the parents are doing? Texting on their smartphones. So do as I say, not as I do. So be approachable, make the time for your kids. Caught and not taught, be that role model, share your beliefs. We talked about all these really. Life is more than sex, teach them that. You know, sex, sex is only a part of marriage, you know, especially if your kids get older and get engaged, you know, that you can wait. Because guess what, if you can't wait now to have sex, you just wait till you're married and you will learn self-control very fast. You're not going to get sex every time you want it. Next slide. Set clear boundaries, especially in social media. Be very, very aware of this because we talked about this earlier. You have a right to know what's on the phone. You have a right to set the boundaries. You have a right. You need to talk to your children. Be a social media mentor to your children. That's a term that so many terms are coming up now. Parents need to be social media mentors, not limiters, Because if you're just saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, they'll find a way to do it. Not the laissez-faire, I don't know French, but you know, that sort of laid-back, just do anything you want. But mentors who know what's happening, difficult though it may be. Look for teachable moments. It may be when they walk in when you're making love or anything. But television, newspaper articles, everything is a teachable moment. Politicians' speeches can be teachable moments when it comes to sex. So, have an auntie or uncle as a backup. That's a very useful thing to do. Because many teenagers really don't want to talk to you. But they'll talk to an auntie or uncle. Have someone as a backup. Auntie Pat is a backup for lots of Sri Lankan kids. Just ask Auntie Pat, okay? Just ask Auntie Pat. So... It's, and kids will come to me. And, you know, I used to make it a point, now these, all those teenagers are now in their 20s, but there were four, five girls whom once in six months I used to have half a day with each of those girls. And they tell me all these things, crazy little things, and say, don't tell mom and dad, don't tell mom and dad. But mom and dad were happy because they knew there's something really crazy, I'll tell them. But the point is that they had an auntie. To, so have an auntie or an uncle, if it's a boy, as a backup, and be there always to pick up the pieces. Because whatever good job you may do, finally, something can go wrong. Next slide, thank you. And so, you know, okay. So, you know, I just often use this one, Timothy, you know, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We are all sinners. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Your kids are sinners. Things go wrong. So don't freak Your kids watched porn. Don't say, how could you do that to me? Just sit down and debrief, find out why they did it, figure out ways in which you can work through it, talk about accountability, software, partners, help them to work through the feelings, the shame, the guilt that comes with it. Okay, so it's very, very important.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Peter Corney Training Centre podcast. For more about the centre and to access other resources, visit
1: headycornytraining.com.au.